Father in heaven, you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, into our world to redeem us, to purify us, and to make us his people. We pray, Lord, as you're the head of the church, we ask that you might reveal your will through our members' meeting this afternoon. We pray for Darrell as he chairs that meeting, that you will give him wisdom and insight. We pray for all of the members as they come, that we'll be in tune with you and that we'll be listening to your voice, to your promptings, to be involved in the process of discerning your will on these matters. Father, we ask for your will to be done and not ours. We thank you for John Morley, for Care Outreach, for all who have contributed, and we pray again, Lord, for the distribution of these material goods, but also the presentation of your eternal message, that you might go before open hearts, prepare minds, bring people to the Saviour, and minister to those in great need. And we pray, Heavenly Father, for ourselves now, as we open your word, we ask that you might open our hearts, that as we draw near to you through the reading of your word, that you might draw near to us and speak to us and shape us to be a people who belong to Jesus and who live like him. We pray in his name for his sake. Amen. Titus chapter 2. We are in the middle of a three-week series. And I haven't confirmed if David is going to do chapter 3 next week or not. He may be years. David will conclude next week. Titus. Let me read to you from the NIV. Um, what must be taught to various groups is the heading this Bible gives it. Paul writing to Titus says, You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Teach the older men. Pause. How old is an older man? It's going to talk about older men, then it's going to talk about older women. How old is an older woman? Yeah, don't go there. And it's going to talk about younger men and younger women. That might surprise you, but many of the commentators say elderly, older men, older women, started around about 60. So there's a lot of young people here this morning. Something significant in the ancient world about the age of 60. It seems a bit older for us, doesn't it? Because we think people in their 40s are old. And if you're a teenager, you think people in their 30s are old. But I'm in my 50s, and so I'm glad for the ancient standard of 60 older men, which means this doesn't apply to me. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, nor addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can train the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands. Underline that line. Why? 
so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, Titus, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. Why? So that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Why? So that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Saviour attractive. For the grace of God to bring salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then, Titus, are the things that you should teach, encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Great passage, of course it is, it's in the scriptures. This morning I want to take you through uh, that chapter with a rough outline and with some application as we go and to point some things out. Paul and company, his mission team, had been to the island of Crete and he's left Titus behind, as Josh taught us last week, um, to complete the task. This letter, Titus, has been written to Titus on the island of Crete to both encourage him and to urge him to get on with the job. And Paul lays out to him the key issues that he is to address in order to build a healthy, uh, Christ-centred, gospel-believing, gospel-preaching church, a healthy, vibrant church. Just a little bit of background in terms of the island of Crete that we can probably very easily identify with. Crete was proverbial for its moral decadence, both personally, people were treacherous, dishonest, as well as publicly. There was a lot of injustice and it was almost honoured. They were materialistic and they were immoral. In terms of materialistic, Polybius, before the first century, ancient philosopher, he wrote that for the people on Crete, even uh, they were so materialistic in pursuing wealth and uh, financial gain, they had this lust for wealth, that the saying became quite proverbial for them that no gain, to not make any profit was disgraceful. They were in it for the money. What could they get out of it for themselves? And that even, in fact, Cicero writes that highway robbery was honourable. Highway robbery was honourable. Who does that remind you of? Highway robbery. Steal from the rich. Give to the poor. Robin Hood. And we almost honour him, don't we? Not because he was stealing stuff, but because he was taking it from people who were stealing it unju- or taking it unjustly, the taxes, John, and giving it back to the people who needed it. So we sort of honour him. Well, without that same motivation, on the island of Crete, people were engaged in robbery. And it was honoured. You were congratulated. And it wasn't stealing from the rich and giving to the poor, it was just stealing and keeping it for yourself. Their society was skewed. And this is where Titus has come to found and to build the church. The island of Crete, the people on Crete, um, 
were in this perpetual search, search from the cradle to the grave for happiness, for comfort, for joy. Just like us, really. And they were sexually immoral. They were well known for that. Both men and women at the expense of their families, which were not greatly valued, um, were ignored in order to pursue their own sexual pleasures. In advancing years, this was replaced both for the men and the women in turning from sexual promiscuity to turning to alcohol, to the bottle. And Cretan wine was full-bodied and very strong and famous. What was going on in the island of Crete? Well, if you read between the lines in this passage in chapter 2, verses 2 to 9, you read between the lines, there's the implications that there is trouble in families and trouble with wives having attitudes to husbands and trouble with kids and there's trouble with alcohol and there's trouble with money and there's trouble with disrespect and all of that. That's the world that Titus is now ministering in. And the people of Crete had, like us in our culture, inevitably been locked into their culture and into those values and patterns of living. But Paul knows, Titus knows, the power of the gospel. Because right back in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul writes about the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Knowing the gospel, knowing Jesus, changes our lives, delivers us from the culture in which we are embedded changes our values not instantly but it is a choice it's a daily thing so the culture on crete was like that materialistic immoral in a perpetual search for happiness their own happiness to the disregard of others into which god sends the gospel next slide amelia next one now um, titus on the island of crete is there and what is he to do well he's to teach and to set an example he's to encourage and he is to correct It's not just teach from the pulpit, he was to do that, teach in the church publicly, but he was also to teach from life groups or house churches, if you like, and he's also to do it in terms of conversation because that's the word that is used here. You must teach, you must speak the general word for conversation. What is in accord with sound doctrine? Setting them an example, like it says in verse 7. In chapter 1, rebuking the false teachers. He's primarily to do, when you look at, analyse the book of Titus, if you want to have a healthy church, this is what Titus was to do. Next slide. He was to do these four simple things. Establish a strong leadership. All churches need a strong leadership. That's chapter 1, verses 5 to 9. Without strong leadership, a church cannot experience health. Something for us to take on board. Secondly, they were to respond, he was to respond to error and to the opponent, to the false teachers. What germs do to the physical body is what false teaching does to the spiritual body of Christ. So the second half of chapter 1 and over in chapter 3, he'll talk about respond to the false teachers. Just don't be passive, just don't ignore it, but speak up, refute it, oppose it, silence them. And it's not just silence them by argument, though that's undoubtedly part of it, but it's silence them by the way of your life. Silence them by the example you set. Thirdly, the people that have a clear understanding of the gospel, know what you believe, know what you uh, place your trust in, sound doctrine, and that's in certainly in this chapter and again in chapter 3. And finally, and this is the focus for this morning, it's to have a consistent life with the gospel, that what we believe is to impact and influence what we do, how we behave. Chapter 2 is talking primarily about those last two, a clear understanding of the gospel and a consistent living with the gospel. Well, that's what Titus was doing on Crete. And he was there to do two things. Well, he was there to teach. Chapter 2 tells us, Paul draws attention to how he is to teach. Next slide. How he is to teach. 
and what he is to teach. If we have a look at how he is to teach, it's chapter 2, verse 1. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. Not just doctrine, but what is in accord with sound doctrine. What is consistent with it? What is associated with it? What fits in with it? In other words, next slide, Amelia. The, um, the preacher, in this case the pastor, Titus, is to give ethical instructions and the application for personal conduct for all ages, telling older men and older women, younger women and younger men, how they are to behave, what attributes and what attitudes they are to have, how we are to live towards each other and how we are to live in the world towards outsiders. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine, healthy truth. Christianity is to be expressed in life, not just believed in the head. It's a new life. It's a relationship with the living Lord Jesus. And if you associate with him, then your life will be changed. Not just in what you do, but in who you are. You'll go through a process of transformation. And that's the, message, that's the mission of our church. That's how we understand the scriptures. Is that we are to work with God in transforming people putting ourselves into passionate followers of Jesus. All the way from being atheists and God-rejectors and God-haters to being full-on passionate followers of Jesus, to go through all those stages and phases of development and not to give in to the influence of the culture and simply sit and soak until the second coming, to be pursuing our own happiness and comfort only. But rather, this is to be the focus, that we are to become Christ-like and to pursue him in all of life. Titus in chapter 2 verse 7 is to teach by being an example. Teach what is in accord with sound doctrine and teach by your life being exemplary. Teach with integrity and with seriousness and with sound speech so that people will not be able to attack you or condemn you fairly. People will attack you. People will condemn you, but not fairly. Make sure you live and teach accordingly. And the motivation scattered throughout this chapter, as I tried to emphasise as I read it, the reason for this is in verse 5, so that no one will malign the word of God. Verse 8, so that those who oppose it will be silenced. And verse 10, so teaching about God our Saviour will be attractive. It has an evangelistic purpose. We are to be godly in life so that we can be light shining in the darkness. We're going to talk about that at our members' meeting today, about how are we doing about that as a church. And is it something we need to lift our game on? We're going to talk about that. Thirdly and finally, Titus is to teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. He is to teach with seriousness and he is to teach, verse 15, with authority. These then are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Don't let anyone despise you, because they will. But don't, let them, don't listen to them, listen to him. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. And the authority is not in Titus, the authority is in the message. We are come under the authority of the Lord Jesus and I am committed to his will and to his word. The message, the mission has the authority and that's why he is to rebuke and to encourage according to that. Change what you are doing, change the way you are speaking, change the choices you are making because of this, because of him, because of the Lord Jesus. Well, that's how he is to teach and that's good instructions for me and for the pastors and for the elders and for anybody who is a life group leader. That teaching is for you that you are to teach 
practical truth in accordance with sound doctrine, to do so with seriousness and to do so with authority, not your authority, his authority. What is he to teach? Well, this is where it becomes very practical. Titus is to deal with the attributes that are required for various age groups in the life of the church. Now, just to point out something, I think, obviously. In chapter 2, there is a change of subject. Chapter 1, he talks to the pastors, the elders, setting them up and what they've got to do. Chapter 2, he's talking to the people. This is how you've got to behave. He moves from the leaders to the laity, if you like. That's the change of focus. And I think the implication is that, okay, um, if I'm not an older man, I still need to know this stuff. Because I'm part of a church body, a church family, a church community. And these age groupings of older men, older women, younger men, younger women and so on, and slaves, that's a typical household in the ancient world. It doesn't mention children, which is interesting. But it's the typical type picture of the ancient household. So this is how families ought to be behaving together. So we are to know these things. And it's not all one way. It's not just pastors and elders who teach, rebuke and encourage and correct and do those things. It's we do it to one another. So younger people need to know what is expected of older people. Older people need to know what is expected of younger people. And the implication is that all of us are together. Older men, older women, younger men, younger women, male and female, slaves as well, all in together in a community, a family. That's the implication of this. This is the context. And interestingly... This entire chapter, chapter 2, talks about the evangelistic impact of a spiritually healthy church. It gives very practical instruction how believers are to live for the purpose of showing sinners the power of salvation. If we live like this, people will notice. Those who oppose will be silenced. Nobody will malign the message, the word of God, and people will even be attracted to it. That's how it worked in the ancient world. That's how God works. He works through transforming people and people notice it and get attracted to Jesus. They have ears to hear. And of course, all believers are expected to reflect their faith in their life. Everybody, regardless of age, whatever bracket you fall in, wherever you place yourself, whatever bracket you fall into, you have a part to play. It's not just for older people it's not just for younger people it's not just for free people it's for everybody the grace of god that brings salvation has appeared to all that's the implication well what is he to teach let's go through this pretty quickly um and i'll just draw your attention to a few things um firstly to the older men Just turn to the person next to you, have a look at them and say, he's talking to you. (laughs) Paul says, teach the older men, teach them to be temperate. What does that mean? He means clear-minded, to think clear, not to be swayed by prejudices and biases or traditions of, we've always done it that way. I don't like these newfangled ways. To be temperate, not set in their ways, but to have an open mind, to be listening, to be learning, to be modelling that to the next generation. To be worthy of respect, dignified. Not to behave as 
immature, reckless individuals, but to be honourable, to be looked up to. That's what the senior generations are to provide for us, to be self-controlled, which is a strong theme through the, all of these groups and in the letter, to be sound in faith, in love and in endurance, to be sound in faith, don't just coast, continue to learn, um, don't stop learning, have a healthy, strong, vibrant faith in the Lord Jesus and model that for others. At our members meeting this afternoon, let the older generations speak and let the younger generations listen and let respect be shown. And then we'll flip it in a minute. In love, in love for the Lord Jesus and in love for one another and in love for lost sinners and endurance. Older men, we need you to endure in the face of opposition in the face of relationships busting up, in the face of chaos and confusion in the world, we need you to endure. Step up, be strong, take the lead. And everybody said, Amen. <laughs> Older women, you have to be reverent in the way that you live. In other words, live following Jesus 24-7. Literally, it's live like the priests. Give yourself to God like Anna did in Luke chapter 2 in the temple. It's being Christ-centered, God-focused, God-honoring, day by day in all the circumstances of your life. Um, and he goes on to say two negatives. Don't be slanderers and don't be addicted to much wine, which is common in that culture. Don't be slanderers. That's the gossip bit. Literally in the Greek, it's being devils, it's diabolos the accusing and maybe it's not fair but generally older women tend to nag and tend to sit around telling stories that's not true in our church but in the culture and it's true back here and Paul is saying not to be slanderers don't share prayer points for the purpose of just gossiping about it and watch being addicted to wine being addicted to, uh, again, those self-pleasing um, items and qualities. But interestingly, he says the older women are to teach. Teach what is good. Older women are to teach. Now, in the context, he's going to go on saying, I don't think only, but certainly, definitely, the older women are to teach the younger women. That's what he says. And they are to train them. Train the younger women to love their husbands and children. That's strange, isn't it? Why would you have to train the younger women to love their husbands? Don't they already love their husbands? Well, sometimes the marriages in the ancient world were arranged and the wives didn't necessarily love their husbands. And particularly in that culture where there was lots of um, hedonistic pleasures being indulged in, uh, families were busting apart. And so Paul writes and says, this is not the way that God has designed us to live. Wives, young wives, married young women, love your husbands. Easier said than done. Uh, you know, the honeymoon is over and now life goes on. How do you love somebody who gets up before breakfast, who doesn't come, come home until after dinner, that never helps with the kids and he falls asleep before bedtime? How do you love someone like that? I have no idea. Ask my wife. That's what it says. Older women are to teach... <laughs> younger women she wasn't looking and she didn't hear it and don't you tell her <laughs> how do you do, 
Older women know how to do it because they've been doing it. So younger women go and ask. And it also says to love their children. Older women can help younger women with that. And many of you, if you're a young parent, then you've probably already experienced of your mums or your grandmums coming alongside or close friends of giving very wise and practical advice on, you'll get through this. This is how you do it. Because the reality is we do need to be instructed to love our kids because they are adorable and that lasts for about two hours, doesn't it? <clears throat> then they come home and then they proliferate and then there's more of them. And, and I don't know about you, to be very honest with you, and I don't have time to go too far on a sidetrack, but I understand it's not right, it's totally wrong, but I understand how frustrating parents can become and they can hurt their kids because I've been there. When my son was little and he, I don't know, he was sick or something and we couldn't stop whatever he was whinging and complaining about, you just run out of patience. <laughs> now, if I was to ask a show of hands, I would be pretty confident that there would be a lot of hands that would go up and saying, been there, done that. Didn't actually do anything, but I understand the emotions and the frustrations. That's normal. Well, how do you cope? Well, one generation can teach the next generation. That's what he's saying. Please note, too, the younger women are to be self-controlled, pure, busy at home, kinds, subject to their husbands. It's a terrific phrase, really, subject to their husbands. I want you to note this. The first priority of a wife is to the husband. Older people teach the younger people. Your first priority is to your married partner. That's what Paul says in this passage. The family is the priority. Love your husband, love your wife. Then love the kids. Not love the kids and then love the spouse. The order is important and I think significant. It'll bring health into your family and into your relationship, into your life. And don't forget back in chapter 1, it was the false teachers on Crete who were ruining households. So Paul is saying the gospel will build strength and health into families. Exercise these qualities. If you don't know them, discover them. Go talk to the older generations. Or come and do the marriage course. We've run that in our church. We'll run it again next year if you've never done it. That's something worth doing to enrich your marriage. So too, the reason for this, family life impacts the gospel. It's the way our families relate, the way our household run, our attitudes to one another which impacts our neighbours, they're watching. And we haven't run it yet, but we will run it next year, I expect. The parenting course, and there are a couple of them. Come and be equipped. Come and listen to what God's Word teaches and come and to listen to generations who have done it before us of how they did it and what clues we can pick up. So that's what Titus is to teach. He's to teach the older men, the older women. He's to teach the younger women. He's to teach the younger men and tell them to pull their heads in. That's what he basically means, verse 6. Tell the younger men to be self-controlled. Put a lid on it. Because one of the problems of youth is arrogance and being argumentative and thinking you know everything and you haven't lived long enough to discover that there's a lot you don't know. That's most of our experience. It's probably my experience. I grew up thinking my dad was incredibly ignorant. Now I'm amazed at how wise he is. Well, he hasn't changed. I have. There are things he knows that I didn't know, and so on. So young men, self-controlled. And slaves, which is 
a very interesting outline that slaves are being empowered. While Paul doesn't say release the slaves because he didn't have the political power to do so, nor does he say it's the will of God, but he accepts reality. If you're a slave, then behave as the best slave that you can be. Avoid the three common sins. Don't be rebellious, don't talk back and don't steal, but rather prove yourself to be faithful. Have a positive attitude. Do your best. And then by doing that, your master will take note. Something's different about you. And it becomes an attraction for the sinner towards the saviour. That's what verse 10 says. Slaves are being empowered to be witnesses in those relationships. So, Paul is to, uh, Titus is to teach these very practical things to these various generations and for those three reasons that we've been over. And then he's also to teach the truths of the gospel, which is this magnificent passage, verses 11 to uh, 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teach that. When you receive Jesus, you receive not only forgiveness, but like in the song we just said, you also receive his presence, you receive his embrace. You've been saved to be forgiven for your sin, but you've also been saved in order to be sanctified, to be changed, to be transformed, to become like him. It teaches us, verse 12, the gospel, the grace of God, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's a choice. It's not automatic. The Lord Jesus said, if you want to follow me, then take up your cross day by day and deny yourself. It's a choice. It's a choice that he will empower and wants us to be making and will work on in us until we are making it. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and it teaches us to say yes to him, to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the king to come. This verse, if you have Jehovah's Witnesses knock on your door, underline this verse, chapter 2, verse 13. It's the glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour. Jesus Christ. It's one person. Our great God and Saviour. Jesus. There are five such verses in the New Testament and this is one of them. which very clearly says that Jesus Christ is God. What did Jesus do? Verse 14, he came, he gave himself for us as we've remembered this morning at communion to redeem us. That's slave language. He's bought us our freedom. He's paid our debts to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify us so that we can be his very own people who are eager to do good. What good? Well, these things that he's been talking about. Older men do these good things. Older women do these good things. Younger men, younger women do those good things. He has taught us and shown us how we are to live. The Lord Jesus is coming. Let me conclude by this little poem. Um, well, summary I guess in the midst of a decadent materialistic and immoral culture Titus is to teach to be an example and he is to encourage and to correct for the purpose of evangelism that we become more like Jesus not just for our own sakes but so that we can have an impact light in the darkness and we are to do so he is to do so in accordance with sound doctrine all believers of all ages have a responsibility to live out and to live consistent with their faith in the Lord Jesus. Here is the poem. One ship sails east, one ship sails west. By the self-same wind they go. It's the set of the sails and not the gales that determines the way it goes. Set your sails.
to the Lord Jesus. Set your sails to being obedient to him. Set your sails to saying no to ungodliness, no to my sinful pleasures, and saying yes to what he wants me to do. We all face the same winds that blow. It's not an excuse, but we need to set our sail for him to lead us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that you have um, revealed yourself, communicated to us, given us your word. We are grateful for the gospel, for the Lord Jesus, who came and gave himself for us to redeem us from sin's slavery, to purify us and to empower us to do good. Heavenly Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit might fill us and control us. Help us to set our sails today to following the Lord Jesus. Help us to set our sails and sometimes to sail into the wind against the cultural tide in order to be light in the darkness. Help us to live, Lord Jesus, consistent with your will and in such a way that people will see the difference in us and be attracted to you. We ask that you would be glorified and your purposes achieved in and through us we pray. Amen.